Amen. Good morning. How's everyone doing this morning? Amen. It's good to see you all this morning. Hey, give the Lord a hand clap of praise. And there's always a funny man in the crowd. He said, I look like Grandpa Jones up here. Where's my hat? Where's my hat, right? Well, hey, let's stand and sing this morning. Can we do that? Here we go. One, two, three. I am on my way to the mansion's bare. Just over in the glory land. There you sing God's praise and his glory share. Just over in the glory land. Just over in the glory land. I'll join the happy angels and just over in the glory. Oh! 
got good. Now, how many of you have never heard that song? Let me see your hand. Goodness gracious, where y'all been? I know y'all ain't been in the mountains, that's for sure. I don't know where y'all been. So, Isn't that a good song? Can y'all wait to get to glory land? What awesome is that going to be? It's going to be very awesome. So today you can have a seat. And uh, Sister Julie, why don't you share with us some announcements that you have there? Well, thank you and good morning, everyone. Are you happy to be in the house of the Lord? Yes. All right. All right. I just want to welcome our guests and our first-time guests. Uh, please, if you haven't already done so, fill out the card in front of your pew with a picture of Pastor Phil and his lovely bride, Deneen. Just fill that out. You can stick it in the offering plate as, you, as it comes around or give it to Pastor Phil on your way out the door. So does everybody have their Sunday paper? Sunday paper. On your Sunday fun so day. Make sure you have your Sunday paper, and we ask that you be in prayer over everything that Christ is doing here at the Hills campus. Let's talk about celebrate recovery. Again, mm -hmm. if you have a hurt habit or a hang-up, you want to be here on Monday night at 7 p.m. to enjoy uh, the fellowship that we have in celebrate recovery, which of course is led by Tom and Sheila Boss. Oh yeah. Okay. Over here on the right side. Y'all are always on the right side. <laughs> and also, tonight, Bob Faria has his Bible study at 6 p.m. So if you want to enjoy a little more of learning about Jesus Christ, and I say getting your Jesus on, then please right. be here tonight at 6 p.m. Wednesday night Bible study with Gary Beeler is at 6.30 p.m., and the Women of Worth is also at 6.30 p.m., and it is over in the fellowship hall in uh, next door. Um, one, other, one other note I want to share with you is if you'll notice in the lobby, the, the net school bus is back out there in the lobby. and we know much. Yeah, so school is going to be back in session, right? And so uh, we need to help our uh, elementary school up the street here at Forest Ridge and uh, make sure they get everything that they need to get uh, to kind of help out the kiddos and the teachers and all that good stuff. So make sure you fill that school bus up. So now's a good time to do it. Hey, let's all stand again. Let's do a little bit of singing there. Go ahead, Brother Rick. I've heard an old, old story How the Savior came from glory How he gave his life on Calvary To save a wretch like me I heard about his groaning Of his precious blood atoning Then I repented of my sin Won the victory Sing it now Oh, victory in Jesus my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him and all my love is to him. He plunged me to victory beneath the cleansing blood. I like this one. I heard about his healing of his cleansing power. Walk again. 
for my too. How about y'all, right? Isn't that good? Isn't God good? He is so good, right? Let's go to the Lord in prayer this morning. Father, we just thank you and praise you, Lord, for the mighty name of Jesus. We know, Lord, because of the name of Jesus that no, no person can enter heaven's glory without knowing Jesus as their Savior and Lord of our life. That's the only way is through Jesus Christ. Lord, it's my prayer, God, that this morning that you'd just show up and show off here this morning and speak to the truth, uh, speak the truth of your word to every soul in this place, Lord, this morning. Lord, touch our hearts as only you can. Lord, save us. Lord, there may be some here that don't know you as Savior and Lord of their life. It's my prayer, God, that you would touch their heart and touch their life. Lord, with uh, your precious spirit, Father Lord, that you touch us, Father Lord, and and rejuvenate us, and Lord, just uh, come into our life and transform us from the inside out. Lord, I thank you, Lord, for all that you've done. I thank you for the shed blood on the cross. First, through the blood on the cross, Lord, that your sacrifice was made for the forgiveness of all of our sins. Every sin in our past, every sin today, every sin in our future. Lord, you paid the debt that none of us in this room could ever pay. Lord, if you had not done that, Lord, we would have no hope and we would die without hope in this world. But because, Jesus, you are the Son of the living God, Lord, and you were sent from heaven to earth, Lord, to show us the way. Lord, you were raised on a cross, that debt to pay. And, Lord, you were buried in the tomb and you rose from the dead, Lord, that we would have everlasting life. And, Lord, there's only one way to come to Jesus. We have to come with you before you humbly. We got to come with all of ourselves, from head to toe, from inside to out, Every square inch of who we are, of our fiber of our being, Lord, we have to come to you. We have to come to you to know, God, that there's no way we could ever save ourselves. Lord, we could never be good enough to enter into heaven. That's why you had to come. And Lord, it's my prayer, God, that we would all know that intimately and personally. And Lord, I give you praise and I give you glory. If there's someone here today that's never trusted your death on the cross for, for the forgiveness of their sin. Lord, don't let them leave here before today that they would do that and ask Christ to be Lord of their life and to be saved. And Father, we give you praise for that. Lord, Holy Spirit, do your perfect work in amongst us this morning as we bring the word this morning. Lord, we thank you and we give you praise and glory for it all. For it's in Jesus' holy and precious name we pray. And everybody said what? I want you to turn around and wave at everybody. I know we can't go around and hug necks and all that stuff, but you can at least wave at everybody. How about that? That's a good thing, right? Amen. Y'all may be seated. Man, you enjoy this this morning so far? <clears throat> I'm ready this morning. Last week, uh, got a lot of comments on the message last week, and I just thank the Lord for that. Uh, God is so good uh, to all of us, and... Uh, in the midst of what we see going on around us in our life today, in our world today, it is such a shame that we see that. So I want to do a part two uh, today. 
So if you remember last week, and uh, um, uh, you might want to open your Bibles to the book of Galatians, but last week uh, our, our title, our subtitle was, When a Nation Declares Its Spiritual Independence. Amen? Uh, uh, it's not good. It's, it's a bad thing, right? In fact, when you look, it said God thrusted a people, we talked about last week, into confusion because of what? Because of their sin, because of their disobedience, because of their rebellion. They turned their back on a holy God, their creator, who made them in his image so that we would be the image bearers worldwide all around the earth. That's why God created us in his image, so that we would bear his image to the four corners of the earth. And so I want to encourage you this morning, think about it. Listen, those people back then in Genesis chapter 11, they wanted to build a city or a kingdom, right, for themselves. They didn't want to scatter. God told them to be fruitful, told Adam and Eve, be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. He told Noah and his sons, he says, be fruitful, multiply, fill the whole earth. And they did not want to do that. They wanted to gather in a place, in one place. They wanted to build a kingdom for themselves. And so they were turning their back on God, trying to build a kingdom for themselves. Not only were they trying to build a kingdom, but they were trying to build their own religion by building that Tower of Babel up to the heavens, from earth to the sky. That's what they're trying to do, become their own God, their own worship to the religion so they could worship their idol and get to God and, and get up into heaven and then become their own God. And that's exactly what they were trying to do. And then also they wanted to make a name for themselves, which means they wanted to become their own God. They wanted to become their own entity. They, didn't, they were like, they didn't need God. They didn't want God. They wanted to do it their own way. And as so many times we find today, and we see in our country today and around the globe, we see many people doing the same thing, trying to be their own God, trying to do things their own way. And so today, you know, it makes me wonder, is there hope for a nation, you know? The Bible teaches us in Galatians chapter 6, verse 7. Listen to the words of God today. Make sure you just, uh, just write down the words of God, write down the scripture references, and you can look at them later. We're going to be skipping around this morning. So I want you to listen to what Paul wrote in the book of Galatians. He said in verse 7, he said, don't be deceived. Don't be deceived. He said, God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap, right? He says, because the one who sows to his flesh will reap what? Corruption from the flesh. But the one who sows to the Spirit, capital S, will reap eternal life from the Spirit. Folks, this is so critical for each and every one of us, that we do not sow to the flesh, but we sow to the Spirit of God that's in us, and that we walk uprightly, and we walk in a way that God has ordered and God has fashioned for your soul and for my soul. It's about, it's about his life through our life so that the whole world would know because we would be bearing his image globally around the world. This is the church. This is what we're supposed to be about as Christians, as followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says, don't be deceived. People, listen, we think we can deceive God, that he'll never know, that he will forgive me. Stop sinning. He wants us to stop sinning. That's his plea to each and every one of us. Don't believe a lie. Don't believe the lies of the world. Don't believe it's okay to do this and do that when God's word tells us the exact opposite. We got to watch out. He's saying, watch out. Don't be deceived. Watch out. Go through this life with your eyes wide open in the spiritual sense. 
See what's going on in the world and let God be God over your entire life. Do not do or do or think things or walk in a way and commit sin that God absolutely abhors and hates. God cannot even look upon sin. This is why he turned his back on his own son who hung in our behalf and took all of mankind's sin and his own father couldn't even look at him. Listen, you can believe error, but it never changes the word of God or his law, ever. If you mock or turn up your nose to God, you will never get away with it. I'm telling you straight up, you can never get away with it. The Bible says, be sure your sin will what? It will find you out every time. In Numbers 32, 23, be sure your sin will find you out. Some of you can probably give personal testimony to that. I know this boy can Your sin will find you out. Listen, if you don't uncover, listen, God's going to uncover it. You think you stay covered up in sin and just live in sin and live in sin and live in sin. God's going to expose that sin and it's going to be very bad for you. God wants you to uncover Proverbs, uh, Proverbs 28, 13. He wants you to uncover so that he can cover you with his grace and his mercy and his truth. Sowing to your flesh is always living independently of God, which is why I called it sin dependence. Because we're sin dependent. It's almost like we're dependent on sin. We got to sin. We just have to sin. We just have to do this the wrong way. And we do not. God does not. He cannot look upon sin in our life. When you're doing that, you are feeding your flesh. You are feeding your desire. That's called preference living. You're living by your own personal preference rather than principles of God's Word. And it's so, and we just need to think about all this. We must all learn to ask this question. And I want you to li- listen to this question. When I have a thought, is that going to contribute to my flesh or to my spirit? We all need to ask ourselves that question. Is it going to contribute? If I have a thought or a temptation that's facing me, is it going to contribute to my flesh or is it going to contribute to the spirit that's within me, the spirit of God that's within me? There are times you and I plant seeds in our lives that we should never uh, plant, giving in to temptation, giving in to sin as if it's not a big deal. God's got it covered, right? We do that. We sow to our flesh, and that's what we do in the sinful nature of who we are. And when we sow to the flesh, we're going to reap corruption and destruction for our life. And what happens when we sow to our flesh, and then we realize all of a sudden that, you know what, I made a mistake here. I made a mistake there. So next thing you start praying for is for a crop failure. Right? You ever done it? You ever been there? You ever did things wrong? And then you realize, oh my gosh, I just did it wrong. And then you start, oh, Lord, Lord, forgive me. I'll never do this again. Oh, Lord, Lord. And you're praying for that crop failure so there's not a consequence to it. Folks, there's a consequence to every sin. And we'll pray, you know, when you sow to the flesh, you will guaranteed reap what you sow. And you will rally what Charles said. You reap what you sow, more than you sow, later than you sow. Every time. It's the truth. I know. Listen, I'm I'm a living testimony of that. And so, and so, and I know that all of you could probably give me testimonies about that. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, you might want to write that one down. 
Now, uh, Paul wrote this. He said, no temptation, listen, has overtaken you except what is common to humanity. And listen here. God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted beyond what you are able, but with that temptation, he will always provide a way of escape so that you are able to bear it. God always provides a way out. He's always providing a way out every time. When we watch the Israelites in the Old Testament, they caved to temptation. They caved to the lust of their flesh. And they paid serious consequences that we're going to hear about today for caving to the lust of their flesh. Some of you are living at consequences of the lust of your flesh today. Some of you struggle, and you struggle because you've been doing things the way you want to do it rather than the way God wants you to do it. To live a life, letting him be the Lord of your life, letting him direct your pathway. And I'm not talking about doing. I'm not as much as being. I want you to be in fellowship and relationship with Jesus. Jesus will lead you. If you have a relationship with Jesus, like you have a relationship with other people, you learn about who they are. You know, and listen, and you know when they talk with you, you know if they're telling you what's right or what's wrong, you know if they're compassionate towards you and they're loving towards you and that they love you. If a good friend is going to do that for you, a good friend is going to tell you when you're wrong. That's a good friend, right? A good friend is going to tell you when you're messing up. And so we need to think about that sometimes. And Jesus is that good friend, and he tells us through the power of the Spirit within when you're messing up so he can get you on track so you don't go down a road that leads to destruction rather than a road that leads to life. The Lord loves you, and he loves me. The Israelites came to temptation. Listen, they did this in more than one occasion, and they would always reap what they sowed. People, things can change overnight rapidly. Y'all believe that? Things can change just like a snap of a finger. Things can turn upside down. And we have experienced it, and we are experiencing that very thing right now. We're experiencing it. One minute, listen, we're the greatest country in the world. We have the greatest of jobs increases and greatest of money, greatest economical growth that we've ever had in the history of the United States. Right? How long did it take to turn that all around? A moment, a disease, a pandemic. Froze, stopped everything. Worldwide. I'm telling you, life is delicate. Life is fragile. Life is so delicate that it can change at any moment. Even your life. Your heart beats. Right? What does it take for that heartbeat to stop? And what happens? And you're gone. You got one heart that's beating all the time. When that thing stops, it's done. It's over. Say la vie. And so things can change in an instant, in a heartbeat. It can change. There's only one thing for sure that never changes. That never goes wrong, that never deviates, and it's Jesus Christ. Amen. He is the most sure person you can trust your entire life, pull your entire life into Jesus Christ. God always spoke to the Israelites and all people of what would happen to them if they would turn their back on God. God always presented them. Here are the consequences of when you don't do what you should do. Turn to Deuteronomy chapter 28. 
I'm just going to read through a little few of them. Not all of them. I'm going to read through a few of them. In Deuteronomy chapter 28, listen, these consequences, you look at this, these consequences can be the same for you and for me. I want you to think about this this, this morning. Deuteronomy chapter 28, starting at verse 20. And I want you to think about last week's message and the people last week and what they were going through. Look in this verse 20. It says, the Lord. And at the beginning of all these sentences, he always says, the Lord. And I think that's significant. He says, the Lord will send against you curses and confusion and rebuke in everything you do until you are destroyed and quickly perish because of wickedness of your actions in abandoning me. When we abandon God, this is what he'll send. It says, the Lord will make pestilence cling to you until he has exterminated you from the land you are entering to possess. And I can't help, as I was reading through some of these things, I was thinking about just some of the things going on in our society today. Some of the things we're seeing on the news and the headlines. The Lord will afflict you, verse 22, with wasting disease and fever and inflammation, burning heat, drought, blight, and mildew. These will, listen to this, pursue you until you perish. Can't get away from it. It says the sky above you will be bronze and the earth beneath you iron. We're talking about drought. We're talking about intense heat. We're talking about a parched ground, a famine. It says the Lord, in verse 24, will turn the rain of your land into falling dust, and it will descend on you from the sky until you are destroyed. Listen, folks, you don't think that can happen? Have you been watching the news the last couple weeks? What about the Saharan dust of Africa? You've been watching this, like, showing this dust cloud coming across the ocean, coming up and crossing the southern tip of Florida, coming out near the Gulf. Tell me it can't happen. It's happening right before our eyes. Can we not see that things are happening? Now, I'm sure this dust here is even far more worse than what we're experiencing for sure. Man, that happened in June, and it's going to happen again. It's here in July. Record heat when that happens. Degraded, listen, air quality, degraded air quality. Look at verse 28. Skip down to 28. Look what it says. It says, the Lord will afflict you with madness, blindness, and mental confusion. There's that word confusion again. So that at noon, it says, you will grope as a blind man gropes in the dark, and you will not be successful in anything you do. You will only be oppressed and robbed continually, and no one will help you. I think about the people, poor people had businesses, and they were robbed, and they were beat half to death. And who came to their help? Not a soul. This is the day in which we live, and we've got to take notice of this. Deuteronomy 28, 43 says, listen to this, the foreign resident among you will rise higher and higher above you. Will you sink while you sink lower and lower? It says he will lend to you, but you won't lend to him. He will be the head, and you will be what? The tail. Think about that. Our economy will not be good. It's not good. We're going to be taken over. Foreign powers will own us. They will rise above us. They will take over us. Unless we turn back to God. Have a yoke of debt with other nations. Do we have that today? 
We owe China a lot, don't we? Look at verse 52 and 28. It says, They will besiege you within all your gates until your high and fortified walls that you trust in come down throughout your land. They will besiege you within all your gates throughout the land the Lord your God has given you. Listen, this is an inside job. This is an inside job. Why? Because we have let down our guard, turning our face away from holy God, creator of heaven and earth. You and me and all that we have. On your spare time, if you, if you think it can't get any worse, I want you to do me a favor and read the rest of that scripture. It's sad. It is sad. We can get so desperate. We can become so desperate that we would cannibalize our own kids. That's even, I can't even stomach that thought. It's terrible. This is the consequences of turning away from a holy God. In Proverbs 29, verses 1 and 2, listen to what he says. Solomon writes, he said, One who becomes stiff-necked after many reprimands will be shattered instantly beyond recovery. When the righteous flourish, it says the people rejoice. But when the wicked rule, people groan. Are we rejoicing today or are we groaning today? Verse 8 says, mockers inflame a city, but the wise turn away anger. Verses 10 and 11 says, bloodthirsty men hate an honest person, but the upright care about him. A fool gives full vent to his anger. Do we not see that around us today? But a wise man holds it in check. Verse 15 through 18 says, A rod of correction imparts wisdom, but a youth left to himself is a disgrace to his mother. We see that on every turn. When the wicked increase, look what it says. Rebellion, what? Increases. When wicked increases, rebellion increases. But the righteous will see their downfall. Amen? Discipline your son and it will bring you peace of mind and give you delight. Verse 18, without revelation, listen to this, without revelation of the word of God, people do what? They run wild. But one who listens to instruction will be happy. Don't you like that? We got to listen, everyone. We got to do, we got to be and do what God has intended for each and every one of us to do. So my question is this, so after reading all of this, is it possible for God to change a nation? Is it possible? Amen. Can God save a nation from spiritual independence or sin dependence? Absolutely. So I want you to turn to 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2. Paul, as he's equipping Timothy, and i got some thoughts on this I just want you to think about, because you got to think about Paul. How did Paul end his life? He had his head cut off. Remember Acts? We're talking about it. He had his head cut off. How did Peter end his life? Tradition says he was crucified upside down and filleted like a fish. I can't even fathom. I can't even imagine that. But I want you to hear what Paul says to young Timothy, the preacher, right? He says here in chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, he said, First of all, then, Timothy, I urge that petitions, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made, be made for everyone. Now look at verse 2. For kings 
and all those who are in authority. Why? So that we may lead a tranquil and quiet life in all godliness and dignity. What's the answer, folks? What's the answer here? Prayer. These are all several different terms for prayer. Every one of them. Paul refers to all sorts of prayer here. Listen, Peter and Paul were both killed by governmental leaders. Yet Paul still encouraged, right? They were killed by crazy Nero. Yet Paul still encouraged Timothy, taught, demanded that Timothy not forget to pray for his leaders. All in authority. Everybody's in authority. Whether you like them and agree with them or whether you disagree with them, it doesn't matter. You're to pray for them. God doesn't say to bash them. God doesn't say to to smack them on Facebook. God does not say to bash your leaders. Whether they're right or wrong, whether they're sinful or holy, it doesn't matter. You don't bash your leaders. God's word demands we never bash our leaders. We lift them up. We pray for them. Bashing them's not going to change their heart. Bashing them's not going to change their soul. Listen, we've got to lift them up in prayer. We need to be in fervent prayer for our leadership. Always. Look at why. Look at verse 3. It tells you why. Why? Because, one, this is good. <laughs> to pray for them. And it pleases God and our Savior, who wants everyone to be what? saved and to come to what the knowledge of the truth and then he says for there is one god and one mediator between god and man and humanity christ jesus himself human who gave himself a ransom for all of us all a testimony at the proper time two thousand years ago and today this is the proper time look he wanted them to be converted Paul is encouraging Timothy, listen, pray, 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 pray for your leaders because they need to be saved. That's the only way to rescue your nation is to save, is to pray for your leaders, that it, that, that it would invoke the power of God into their lives and they would see the light of Jesus and they would get on their knees and face and say, Lord, I need help here. I can't do this. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. It says, here's some instruction. Therefore, he goes, I want men in every place to what? To do what? Pray. Lifting up holy hands without anger and without argument. Right there. That should slap you right there in the face on Facebook. <laughs> right? I know. I know. I know. Hey, listen. I can be guilty too. Sometimes I can. I've gotten on there in my past. Extended past. I need to pray. So, is it possible to save a nation? Yes. Praying for those in leadership. That's how we do it, folks. We have to do that. We've got to get back to being a prayerful church. We've got to be a prayerful people. If we truly believe God, we're going to pray. We must all cry out to God for those that are in charge. We must plead with the Father for peace. Listen, do we want to see America changed for the better? then we've got to be determined to pray as God's chosen people. We've got to pray. I might have to ask you, how much time do you spend in prayer and how much time do you spend on Facebook? 
It's amazing. So number one, listen. A nation's future is in the hands of its leaders. It is. We must have the right godly leaders in place or the most godly leaders in place that we can tell by observing how they govern and what they believe. What they are for and what they are against. Our litmus paper for that is the Word of God and the Spirit of God through prayer. We've got to pray. We've got elections coming up. We've got to pray, pray like we've never prayed before. Too many of us try to separate the government from the spiritual. That is not what separation of the church and state was all about. It wasn't to devoid the government of any influence of God. We need to be praying for our nation, praying for our government, praying. We need to be led by the Spirit of God, led by the Word of God. In every decision that we make, as a believer in Christ combined with the Word of God in you, that must be the determining factor with much prayer to determine the right or the most correct candidate to vote for. There are biblical values, and some hold, listen, too, and there are those that are far removed from what God's Word teaches all of us, right? And if you know the Word of God, it is most obvious to the Christ follower what those candidates believe, whether it lines up with God's Word or it doesn't line up with God's Word. I'm not telling you who to vote for, but I'm telling you to consider what you must think about and pray about before you go into those booths and vote. Listen, what you believe is what you value. And what you value is how you live it out in action. Every time, you must vote by principle and never by preference. And too many of us, even Christians, try to separate. Well, I prefer this person. But then that person lives a life and approves and votes for things that you know are contrary to what thus saith the Lord. We've got to think about this. This is a big deal for us. We must trust God. Then you won't lean to your own understanding. And that takes the human side out of it when you trust God with all your heart. Why? Because you will always acknowledge Him in all your ways. In all your ways. So, okay, my brothers and sisters, listen to this. I'm going to share with you how all Christians must vote. You ready? <laughs> Make sure Jesus is voting and not you. Make sure Jesus is voting and not you. Allow Jesus to vote for your candidate based on his word and his spirit is leading you. I was thinking about that. I said, you know, every time I go vote, I give me this little sticker say, I voted. I would like to have a sticker that says, Jesus voted. <laughs> Wouldn't that be cool? Hey, Jesus voted. <laughs> People go, what is that all about? And you can, then you can tell them the gospel, right? And why you voted. And how you voted. How you selected your candidate. So a nation's future is in the hands of its leaders. And number two, the leadership of the nation is in the hands of God. Think about this. Turn to Daniel chapter 2. Daniel chapter 2. We're going to look at that. Daniel chapter 2, verses 19 through 23. The leadership of the nations is in the hands of God. 
In the book of Daniel, King Nebuchadnezzar destroyed Jerusalem and took the children of Israel captive back to Babylon for how many years? Seventy years. Seventy years. This pagan king, listen, would have dreams and would try to get his pagan priest and wise guys to interpret those dreams. This dream, however, he told his guys, they had to tell him his dream and interpret it. Now think about this. His wise guys would ask him, well, king, tell us your dream, and we'll give you an interpretation for it. King said, no, you tell me my dream and interpret it too. And they're like, no, there ain't no way we can do that. Right. And then he got in. When they said that, guess what he did? He wanted to kill them all. The king wanted to have them all killed. He did, set a decree to kill them all. Kill all my wise guys because they, they can't help me here with my dream. They can't, inter- they can't tell me what my dream is, nor can they interpret it, so kill them all. But here's the thing. When they went back to go get these guys to kill him, when Daniel, he inquired, he said, what was fixing to happen to them? He wanted to know why the king was so upset. So evidently Daniel wasn't present. So Daniel told the commander of the guard to allow him some time that he would interpret the king's dreams. So look what Daniel did. So Daniel, listen, got a hold of his three pals. Who were his three pals? Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. That's how we know. They're pagan names, though. Know what they did? They prayed. They prayed earnestly to God concerning the dream of the king. And then God answered that dream. And here we are in Daniel chapter 2. So you can see what happened. Let's read it together. Verse 19. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night. And Daniel praised the God of heaven and declared, May the name of God be praised forever and ever for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and the seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. I mean, look at that. Kings don't come in power without God knowing it, orchestrating it, directing it. It's amazing. He reveals the deep and the hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and the light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have let me know what we asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. The dream is interpreted through the intentional prayers of Daniel and his friends. How awesome is that? Is there power in prayer? You know why there's power in prayer? Because of the power behind the prayer. That's the only reason. There's not power of prayer. There's a power behind the prayer when God is in it. See, God removes and establishes kings. And I want you to understand this. It's not man doesn't do it. God does it. And God allows people to be in power, sometimes based on the sinful nature of his people. In fact, in Romans 13, 1 and 2, you might want to write that down. It said, everyone must submit to the governing authorities, for there is no authority except from God. You hear that? And those that exist are instituted by God, not by man. So then the one who resists the authority is opposing God's command, and those who oppose it will bring judgment on themselves. God is sovereign over everything. His purpose will be fulfilled with you or without you every time. 
Daniel interprets the king's dream and not only interprets it, but told the king his dream without the king sharing it with anybody. That's an amazing thing. God is always, always in control. Every time. The knowledge and permissive will of God. He is in control. Doesn't matter who's king. Doesn't matter who's president. Doesn't matter who the senator is. God is in control. But folks, we got to pray like we've never prayed before. Nebuchadnezzar eventually passes away, and then we go to Daniel chapter 5. Daniel chapter 5, we see here Belshazzar, the next king. King Belshazzar. Belshazzar. Man, in chapter 5, he has a drunken feast. And his feasts included, listen, the Jerusalem temple vessels or the bowls and the stuff that belonged in the temple in Jerusalem that they had taken back when they were taken away by Nebuchadnezzar. All the gold bowls and pots and all the utensils and everything out of the temple of God were taken by Nebuchadnezzar. And so here we're going to see where they, they would take these things and they would drink out of the stuff in this drunken party. And out of the vessels that were designated, designed of vessels of honor for the Lord. And they were mocking God by doing that. And all of a sudden, it says, in the room, in the middle of this, it says there appeared a hand that appeared writing on the plaster wall a message. Man, this is like straight out of sci-fi, you know what I mean? There's a hand floating up there writing on the plaster wall, Right? And it says here that uh, the king's face turned very pale in his presence. It said his knees were knocking. That's how you know you're really scared. You ever had your knees knocked before? Amen. Right? No one could read the writing. No one could read the writing except for who? Daniel. Daniel prayed. Look at verse 25 of chapter 5. This is the writing that was inscribed. It says, Mini, Mini, Tekel, Parzin. This is the interpretation of the message. Mini means that God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. And he's noticed he said that twice, the word twice. And then Tekel, it means that you have been weighed in the balance and found what? Deficient. And Perez means that your kingdom has been divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. And guess what happened in that scripture if you read it further? King Belshazzar died that night. Conquered by who? Because while he was having this drunken feast, Darius's army was surrounding the city. Came in through, came in through like the moat or the gate where all the water was underneath the gate. Come in, not anybody was killed. He took it over. Except for Belshazzar. So my question, folks, is what moves the hand of God? It's the prayers of the people. How many times a day did Daniel pray? Three times a day. Every day he prayed. James 4, 2, you do not have because you do not what? You do not ask. Or you ask with wrong attitudes or motives. James 1.17 says, Every generous act and every perfect gift is from where? It's from above. It comes down from the Father lights. With Him there is no variation or shadow cast by turning. Listen, a nation's future is in the hands of its leaders. 
And the leadership of the nations is in the hands of God. But listen to this. A nation's future is influenced by those who move the hand of God. Folks, when we pray, we invite Almighty Holy God into all of our circumstances. When we pray. And we should be praying. To quote Brother Bob Ferry, it should be as natural as breathing. Our prayer should be. I love that. We must pray. Why? 1 Peter 2.9 states why we should pray. 1 Peter 2.9, write that down. Peter said this to all of us that are believers. He said, but you are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy nation. You are a people of his own possession so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness and into his marvelous light. You are a chosen race, people. You're born again. You're a chosen race. He chose you. You did not choose Jesus, but he chose you. And he said, come. He drew you to Jesus. And when you're drawn to Jesus, listen, you've got to submit and surrender. Or you can rebel and run away from it, which I did for many years. Not only are you a chosen race, but when you're saved, you're part of a holy priesthood. You're part of a holy priesthood. Jesus has saved you, not on the basis of your conduct, but on the basis of what Jesus did when he hung on that cross. You cannot be good enough to be saved. Never. None of us are good enough. Even after we're saved, we're still not good enough. We're clothed in the righteousness that Jesus provides. Because our righteousness is what? Filthy rags. Oh, you know your Bible pretty good. We are. Everything in our life is about Jesus controlling who we are, how we think, where we walk, the things that we do. Jesus is the controller. I'm the obeyer. I'm the underneath there. I'm the one that trusts in Jesus. I trust in Jesus for everything. I trust in Jesus to lead me and guide me all truth. I trust in Jesus, which means I've got to spend time in his holy word. I've got to be in the word of God every single day. Because if I'm never in the Word of God, then there's no way I can know the character of who Jesus is and know what Jesus exactly wants me to do and live in my life so he can expose to me what it is he wants me to fulfill in my calling. It's only by the Word of God and the presence of God and the Holy Spirit of God, listen, that he has allowed me to stand up here behind a pulpit. And so I take this very seriously. Very seriously. You are a son or daughter. You are a priest. That's amazing. The responsibility we have in all this is what, folks? Is praying. Prayer. Revelation 1, 4 through 6, John said, Is it grace and peace to you from the one who was and who was and who is coming from the seven spirits before his throne and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead and the ruler of the kings of the earth, to him who loves us and has set us free and from our sins by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God and Father, the glory and dominion are his forever and ever. Amen. John says he made us a kingdom. We belong to the body. We belong to him. Jesus is the head. We are God's what? 
ambassadors to the world. We are here as a priest of God to influence the world to Christ, to be the image bearers of our creator to the world. That's who we are. That's, where we, that's what we are about. Our problem is we don't believe it as we should sometimes. We don't think about it in that way. Our eyes are looking in the wrong direction. Sometimes we're looking horizontal when we should be looking vertical. You need to look vertical first before you look horizontal. When you look vertical first, God gives you what you need so that you can help your fellow mankind out. And the most desperate thing they need is Jesus, right? And we need to do that. He is our ever-present help in time of trouble, and we are in trouble, people. We must, church, cry out to God as his people with genuine repentance, which means stop sinning, turn around, and do what God has commanded and called us to do. And we need to do that every day that our nation would be healed. This means we must turn from all our sin and quit making excuses, justifying why we do what we do, the wrong thing. We must all seek out God's advice and get in line behind Jesus. Stop sinning. Stop doing it. Stop living together. Stop doing stuff that you know is wrong according to God. We've got to do the right thing. We've got we to get in line with Jesus. Listen, God makes a way out of everything that you do wrong. God makes a way out of it. And we've got to listen to him. Our nation will never change unless we change. We have to change. We've got to get underneath the word of God. We are living in a world talking about reparations from slavery from 160 years ago, yet the world has a huge number of people who are slaves to sin. Slaves to sin we are. Chained to the sin nature. And Jesus abolished sin once and for all. He's the answer. He's the chain breaker. He's the one that sets us free. And when you're free, you're free indeed. I got free people in the house. Praise the Lord to be free. He did it on the cross for you and me. That's why when we, you'll see Vice President and them quote 2 Chronicles 7, 14, you know, it was really, it was a Christmas. Solomon to the Lord. Then the Lord appeared to Solomon at night and said to him, I have heard your prayer, Solomon, and have chosen this place for myself as a temple of sacrifice. He said, if I close, now listen to this, God says to Solomon, if I close the sky so there is no rain, or if I command the grasshopper to consume the land, he said, or if I send pestilence on my people, listen to this, and then here's the verse that we always quote. He said, and my people, he says, my people who are called by my name will humble themselves, pray, <laughs> Right? And you, first the order of business is what? Pray. Right? And seek my face. And then he doesn't stop. He says, and turn, which is the part that everybody always leaves out, because it sounds so bad. We're wickedness, and we don't want to say we're wicked. But we are evil. We're a destitute of people. We are wicked people. And we must be able to say that. We've got to turn from our evil, wicked ways. It says, God says, that means repent. That's repentance. It's turning away from what you're doing is wrong and sinful, turning to God, who is, who is the, the light and the life of all people, of all mankind, who is the one who wants us to lead us into all truth. 
to live a life to fulfill the footsteps that he has chosen for each and every one of us. He has a plan and a purpose for all of us. He says, then I will hear from heaven. He said, then I will forgive their sin because the real thing is when you turn away from your sin, it's the real deal. When you don't turn away from your sin and you just live in your sin, guess what? It's not the real deal because a true follower of Jesus Christ, a true person who loves Jesus with all their heart, mind, soul, and strength and realize what he did on the cross for you, the true person that does that, the true person that understands what Jesus did for you is going to want to turn away from the evil that they've been doing and do the right thing and do what God wants them to do. And we, don't, we, don't, we get this all wrong. And listen, it's easy. It's, we think it's hard. It is hard when you're trying to do it yourself. You can't clean yourself up. It's impossible to clean yourself up. It's impossible. Jesus got to clean you out. He doesn't clean you from the outside in. He died on the outside, but he did it so he would start cleaning you from the inside out. He, he circumcises your heart. And when he circumcises your heart, guess what he does when he does that? He cleans you from inside to outside. He redecorates your life on the inside, coming outside. And then you become something like a big flower, blooming for everybody to see. Don't you love that? I want Jesus to redecorate my life inside out, don't you? He should be doing that. The premise here for us, listen, in this passage of Scripture in St. Chronicles, that I want you to take home with you is to be humble, to pray, to seek God, and to turn from your sin. These are the four aspects of one's attitude, and it's called repentance. That's what it is. We are on mission for God. This whole church, this whole body, we're on mission for God, for Jesus Christ. We're on mission for him. We must cry out to God in prayer as his people. God desires to heal anything and everything. His desire is to heal you. His desire is to save you. His desire is to give you a bountiful, plentiful life, knowing with assurance that he's there with you in the good times, and he's always there in the bad times as well. You may be dying of a disease. Jesus is there with you to help you through that time. Every time. If you know him. But we must look up to God. Quit looking at the world. We try to look at the world. We try to get self-fixes. We try to take self-help and fix it ourselves. But we must look up to God. Unbelief keeps us in our awful state of condition when we don't believe. We cannot change a nation around a conference table. Even We cannot change a nation in our church service. We cannot do it. We change the nation by getting serious on our face, crying out to holy God. We can reach all people wherever they are who can be touched by God through our prayers. And so my challenge, our challenge is to pray, to get serious, more serious than you've ever been about praying. Coming to this church before I came, I know that you folks pray on Thursdays. We still pray on Thursday, by the way. <laughs> There's some ladies that come. There are some. But listen, folks, listen. Do y'all love America? Do you love our nation? 
Listen, I don't agree with everything our president does. There are some things I do agree with. I don't agree with everything that everybody does and says. But I'm going to tell you something. I look at my scripture. I look at the word of God. I let Jesus help me to make the decision of what I need to do. I think there's, there's no greater way. There's no greater way to vote for you. But here's the thing is, when we don't know what the word of God says, <laughs> then you're like, you're like shooting into space. When you don't know, what, if you're not in God's word every single day, learning his character and his precepts and his principles, man, you're like shooting in a dark room and you can't even hit no target because you can't see it because you can't see. And this is a serious time for all of us. More serious than ever in the history of our 244 years. God's people got to get serious about prayer. It's the only way it's going to change. And so I want to issue the challenge to you. Meet me here at 7 a.m. on Thursday. Let's pray for our nation. Meet me here, even at noon. Meet me here at noon. I'll be here at noon, too. Seven and at noon, I'll be right here. If there's ever a time we want to see our nation change and transform, we've got to be serious about praying. I know you can pray at home, but there's something about coming corporately together and praying to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one who writes on plaster walls with a hand. Amen? I'll be here. I hope that you are. Let's pray. Go ahead, honey. Father, I thank you, Lord, for the mighty name of Jesus. I thank you, Jesus, for all that you do in and through our life. Lord, it's my prayer that if there's anyone here in the sound of my voice that's never trusted you as Savior and Lord of their life, I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would touch their heart today. Help them to come to know that Jesus, you are the Savior of the world. There's only one way to get to heaven, to get to God, to have a relationship with God, and that's to go through the shed blood of Jesus Christ. Lord, I, I can't assume everybody here is saved and knows the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. So during this time, I ask that, Lord, that if there's someone here today that's never trusted you, Jesus, as their Savior, that today is that day of salvation for them. Jesus, you left heaven, you came to earth to show us the way. And the way was the cross. Lord, you were perfect and you were sinless. Yet you took all of my sin and the sin of the entire human race on your body. I can't even fathom the amount of people. We got 330-some million people in our country, population, not counting the rest of the globe. Lord, you took every sin of every person, such a burden that you took when you hung on that cross. I can't even imagine why God would even turn his head back to you at all. But he did. Because, because Lord Jesus, you had power over death. And you had power over sin. Power over the grave. There is no sting of death. Lord, you rose from the dead. And you give life to everybody who believes and trusts in you this very hour. So, Lord, in this room, online, if you're watching, you've never trusted Jesus, your Savior, ask him to come into your heart. He's pulling on your heartstrings. He wants you to let loose of yourself and give yourself to him this very moment. Say, Jesus, come into my heart and save me from me. 
Save me from my sin. Save me from the enemy. Save me from my thoughts, my actions, my desires, my preferences. Save me, Jesus. Come into my soul and redecorate my life from the inside out. I thank you, Jesus, for coming in, for hearing my prayer and my plea for salvation. I thank you for saving me. If you pray to receive Christ as your Savior, then you're as saved as this big old boy standing up here on this platform. And your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life in heaven. Turn from your sin, chase with God all of your heart. Let him be your God. Let him order up your footsteps. Let him guide you. Let him show you the way. Lord, I thank you for my Christian brothers and sisters. It's a call to prayer. Can our nation be saved today? Yes, there's only one way to be saved, and that's through prayer. Lord, may we pray, lifting up holy hands, as Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego, as they all did. They lifted up holy hands and they prayed for deliverance from the king. Lord, we need deliverance from the devil. We need the, the prince of the power of the air. We need deliverance from him. We need deliverance from lost people. We need deliverance from authorities. Lord, in principalities and spiritual and heavenly places, Lord, they try to inflict wounds and try to steal, kill, and destroy us, God. But we know, Jesus, because we hang on to you, you give us life, more abundant life. And, Lord, we can turn to you and say, Lord, forgive us for we failed you. May we get in line. And, Lord, may we humble ourselves. May we earnestly seek your face and pray for our blessed nation, Lord. That was founded on Judeo-Christian principles. And we have far, I mean, we've even had presidents in the past that told us we were not a Christian nation. And maybe today we may not predominantly be a Christian nation, but we were founded as a Christian. We were founded on Judeo-Christian principles. The record shows it, gives evidence of it. Help us to turn back to you, God. Help us to look up to you. We need your strength and power to help us through. Father, I thank you, Lord, that we don't have to live in sin dependence, but we can live in true independence because, Jesus, you are the freer of the soul and you freed all of us. We thank you for it all. In Jesus' name. And all God's people said, what? Amen. If you can hang loose, we're going to have a baptism this morning. All right? And let's celebrate with Brother Hunter back here, okay? Let me get you.